Striving and Thriving is the career development podcast inspiring you to make some bold changes. It's time to sweat the big stuff. Each week, we speak to industry figureheads at different stages of their journey to understand what it takes to successfully manage your career. I'm your host, Laura Johnson. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Rebecca Powell, People and Culture Director. All right, to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about your career background and your current role? So I'm currently the Director of People and Culture for a company called Intelligence Bank. It's a rapidly scaling SaaS solutions provider specializing in marketing operations. Prior to that, I was head of P&C for a buy now, pay later startup. And before that, I was predominantly in talent acquisition roles. I came to Australia 12 years ago and I was in agency land at that time and moved into internal talent acquisition with Sportsbet and then Bet Easy. So 12 years on, here I am. Didn't ever expect to be in this role. My degree is not related to HR or talent in any way. But yeah, it's been a, an interesting journey. That's great. I guess um, what got you into talent or recruitment in the first place and then I'd really love to talk about the whole moving in-house because that's something that comes up a few times and I know different people have had different struggles or have different opinions on that move as well. So it was back in Ireland I had spent a few years teaching English in Japan my degrees in marketing in Japanese and when I came back from Japan I got a job working for Dell selling computers and great couple of years and One of my best friends and my sister, they were both in recruitment at the time and Ireland was going through a massive boom, the Celtic Tiger, in case anyone remembers those exciting days in the early 2000s where the economy was just booming and recruiters were breaking it in. And so my best friend got me an interview at the agency she was in and it was an IT sales and marketing role. And I had a brilliant first year. I'd never done it before but just thought it would be something different to try. And then I was about to hit 30. I'm I'm a lot older than I look, I swear. And uh, wanted to travel a bit more. So I came to Australia and off the back of my agency experience and with some connections with the people I'd made when I was working in Japan, I got into an agency role here. And so I had a couple of agency roles before moving into uh, going in-house. But yeah, it was just off the back of Ireland's booming economy, recruitment agencies were just going gangbusters. And I thought, why not? There's so many recruiters we spoke to that have basically said the same, like see someone that was doing really well at it. And they thought, what? We'll give it a go. And what's the worst that can happen? And it feels like most people, when they do it, if you're good at it, you love it. And there's just a really great camaraderie. And yeah, it's just something you kind of fall in love with. And then I guess from recruitment to in-house, what spurred that move? What made you kind of want to move in-house rather than the recruitment side of it? Well, for me, what I've always enjoyed about the recruitment work is I just love bringing people together. I think every single person in TA says that. And in recruitment, I will put my hand up and say I was not brilliant at the sales or business development side of things in, in agency land. I hated the metrics. It just gave me the cold shivers. So for me, what I took most pride in was when I placed someone in a role during my agency days was keeping in touch with them, seeing how they were progressing, looking at that journey beyond just getting them in the door. And that was something I really wanted to focus on. And 
I just decided I wasn't, and I'll admit I wasn't having a brilliant year um, in my last year in agency land. And I just thought, you know what, I need to just stop, step away from this role and focus on what I want to do and have that clearer purpose. And that led to the opportunity at Sportsbet, which was absolutely perfect for me. I love my sports. The culture was really engaging and inviting. It was a company that was going through a lot of growth. And yeah, it just, it spoke to me on a lot of levels. It was also part of an Irish organization, Paddy Power at the time. And yeah, I could resonate very well with what they were doing. I understood it. So just, it was a great fit and I haven't looked back. That's fantastic. I guess for anybody that's thinking about a similar move from recruitment to in-house, what advice would you give them? I think it's really important to be clear about understanding the business. It's not just about understanding the role. That certainly helps. And you know, talking to tech leads or dev managers or marketing managers, it's really important to understand how everything fits together and have that commercial awareness as well as actually understanding the ins and outs of the role. And for me, the most important thing is agencies. It's about sending in your CVs, getting bums on seats and you move on. And for me, it's the journey doesn't stop when that bum is on the seat. It continues, it evolves. And we look at the internal progression and development. It's coming in with that sense, I think is really important. Your key stakeholders are your internal stakeholders, whereas in agency days, it tended to be more the candidates and just the hiring managers. But when you're in-house, there's so many more moving parts. The other thing is, if you're an agency and you just can't fill the role, you tend to move on. In-house, you have to fill it. There is no choice. You keep working until you get that person in. And then you keep working to make sure that they're engaged and supported. Obviously, depending on the size of the company, you might have HR partners and others who are helping with that as well. But I've always taken on that that responsibility as well. I feel feel a sense of pride in the people I bring in. They're, they're my babies. I refer to every single person I've hired as, as one of my babies. And, and I want to make sure that they are supported and that they feel that what I have promised and offered to them is what they experience. So there is a big mindset shift and you need to think about that if you're wanting to get go in-house. It is very easy, I think, to transition in-house. I hired someone who was ex-agency before. I've seen plenty of ex-agency people have great careers. So there's no barrier. It's just a bit of a mindset shift. That's great advice. Just going back to your career a little bit, fascinated from going from sports back to startups. So you've gone from a really big organization that you probably had a really nice team and a budget. And then you've gone, oh, no, I'll go to startup and do the opposite end of the spectrum. Was that kind of a really deliberate career move or was that just kind of the right opportunity at the right time? What's about that? Uh, it wasn't deliberate, I'll be honest. And when I joined Sportsbet, we were, gosh, it was 2014. There was 300 and something of us. And even though we were that size company, it was very much a startup mentality because it was constant innovation, constant change and growth. And I didn't have much money. Um, (laughs) Just because it's a bigger company does not mean the budgets are any better. But for me, what I've always loved doing is I'm very hands-on. I love to be in the thick of things. And I feel it's a lot easier to drive change and have an impact on things in those smaller companies. So I went from Sportsbet to Bet Easy, which was much smaller in in a younger company. 
um, and they hadn't had a dedicated recruitment person or talent acquisition person there before. And very pleased with the strides I made there, turning around time to fill, turning around quality of hire and engagement in the acquisition process um, and the hiring manager engagement. Um, that was very well received. I actually was then made redundant March last year at the start of lockdown one. And I spent four months volunteering with Jobs for Australia. And the role I got into subsequently as head of PNC for PayRite, a buy now, pay later startup, was actually off the back of some of the work I'd been doing for Jobs for Australia. So great connection to have. But it was just an opportunity that was there at the time. It wasn't a deliberate choice. It was a more deliberate choice this time. So the, the role I had at PayRite was a maternity cover position. And I knew based on what I had done there and the opportunity and development I had in that, gosh, nine, 10 months that I was there, I knew from that that I actually really enjoyed being there, sort of early doors, fairly greenfield setup where I could really drive some considerable change and improvement and add to the growth. That was something that really excited me, being right there at the start of something. So the opportunity at Intelligence Bank, well, it's not, not technically a startup because they've been going for almost 12 years, but they've been rapidly scaling over the last sort of three to five years. And I'm their first people and culture hire in that time. So huge growth happening, huge opportunity and feeding off the back of the experience I've had with PayRight, which was starting up, but then also leveraging the experience I've had at Sportsbet and BetEasy. I'm really excited. So it was a deliberate choice this time. Sounds like a really awesome opportunity. Just that level of scale with everything around it is great. I guess with that, so how do you stay on top of things? Or if there's an area that you don't know about, how do you go around upskilling? Because it must be tough as, as a small team and being by yourself that you've got to try and be good at so much. And we all know with scaling companies, everything needed to happen yesterday, right? <laughs> yes. I'm very fortunate in my community or in my network. So off the back of Jobs for Australia, when I stepped into the role at PayRight, I was invited by Justine Figo, who's a, a leader in the, the HR community, to join the HR Executive Tribe, which has been a source of great support for me in the past year. I'm also part of Rebecca Horton's Bold HR Level Up Mentoring Program. I have been since the start of 2020. And Rebecca has been a huge help to me as well. I often joke, you know, the fact that I joined her program and I was just a, a lowly TA manager. And here I am 18 months later, a director of people and culture. The program works, folks. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I've been very fortunate. We've also got Andrea Kirby's talent table or talent tribe, which has helped hugely. The Reconverse group back in the day, going to events like the ATC conference, just connecting with people outside of the bold HR tribe or group. We, you know, a lot of us connect and catch up and swap ideas. And so I've been very fortunate with the people I've had around me. The incumbent head of people and culture when I was at PayRight was also brilliant at being available. Even though she was having a baby, she made herself available to me, which I really appreciated. And, and I learned a lot from her as well. So yeah. Surround yourself with good people. Never be afraid to reach out and ask someone because you'd be amazed at how willing people are to give advice. So if you're willing to ask for it, there'll be plenty of people willing to help you out. 
I think that's so true. And I think it's something that I struggled with a bit at the start of my career. But I think people people do want to help. Like people want to help other people. And I think particularly, and I think Jobs for Australia is a really great example of that, especially last year. People really went out of their way to help each other. And there's so much of that. And I do think it's one of the other good things that's probably come out of this year. As we've had a bit more time with no commuting and no social lives, people have wanted to reach out and help each other out a little bit more. And that's really incredible. And I think you're right. There's so much to be said for having that community and just being able to have a space where you can ask a question that if you had to try and work out by yourself would probably take hours or days actually you can put it out into a safe space and someone's going to offer you advice because they've already done it. Yeah, no, it's definitely been a feature, I think, of the last sort of 12, 18 months. And yeah, you know, I get people messaging me quite a bit now. I don't necessarily think I'm mentor material because I'm very much still on a a learning journey myself, but where I can, I absolutely will, will help those who ask for it. I think you'd be an amazing mentor. I think that's a really interesting point. And genuinely, like I think it's um, I think it's sometimes something we struggle with as individuals, but your experience and everything you've done is incredible. And there's so much people can learn from that. And I think sometimes we, I was saying it to a girl in my team yesterday. She was like, sometimes I just don't know what I'm doing. And I was like, neither do I. Just because I've done it for another 10 years than you have. Like we all have these days where we're like, what are we doing? We don't know what we're doing. And I just don't think that shifts. And sometimes we think too much about that rather than the stuff we do know. What's the odd saying? Like, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. And I think sometimes as individuals, we all get caught up in that rather than going, actually, I've done some stuff. I could talk to people about stuff. Yeah. I had a, a manager back in one of my uh, my agency days here in Australia who used to say, fake it till you make it. I don't know if that's necessarily the best advice, but at the same time, you don't know everything, but start with what you do know. And as you embed yourself further in the role or the opportunity, you will continue to pick up new things. You will continue to broaden that knowledge base. So whilst maybe it's not quite faking it, still, if you go in with the confidence that you can learn it and you can do it, that absolutely helps. And bear in mind, I do not have any HR qualifications, none, but I'm a director of people and culture. I mean, what the hell is that about? So clearly I've managed to uh, fool a few people. Um, <laughs> but no, I think whilst maybe not going with the advice of fake it till you make it, I think absolutely if, go for whatever you see in front of you. So you mentioned there just about the fake it till you make it advice. What do you think is the best career advice that you've had along the way? I think it was actually something that Rebecca Horton said to me at the start of my redundancy and the start of lockdown one, she said, come out smarter than you came in. And for me, one of the things I've only started to do, not late in life because I'm only in my early 40s, but something that I've never really invested any time in is my own development or extracurricular learning. And I've always just sort of I don't have time for that. I don't want to, to spend my free time reading business articles or you know books on how to be a better recruiter or how to be a better person or whatever. I, I was always very dismissive of that. But I've started to use the opportunity a couple of years ago to invest in myself because I realized that I'm going to go nowhere if, if I just keep doing the same thing day in, day out and expecting different results. And that's what triggered A, signing up to Rebecca's program be getting involved in things like uh, Reconverse and and Andrea's Tribe, and then just being willing to put my hand up for new and different roles. 
So yeah, coming out of it smarter than I came in, I think has been a really great piece of advice. It's forced me to open up to new ideas, new ways of thinking and, and, and new input that I might not otherwise have allowed. So it's been, I think it's helped change a lot for me, I think. I think that's a really great piece of advice. I feel like we probably all needed that memo at the start of last lockdown. I literally had it pinned on a post-it on my screen in front of me, just right there. It sat in front of me every single day. The other one was ask more questions. Mm. I think that's been a very important one for me because I've been guilty of just jumping into things, just reacting, responding to things without understanding the big picture. And as you progress your career and as you step up into more and more senior roles, you're not actually expected to have the answers. You're not expected to solve problems straight away. Having that understanding of what's causing things or why things need to be the way they are, you need to be asking questions. And I've always been guilty of of not doing that. So yeah, I guess two pieces of advice, ask more questions and come out smarter than you came in, both sitting on my screen all the time. I think I, I saw a talk in Canada, must be a few years ago. It was a guy who'd written a book, and I can't think of his name, called The Coaching Habit. And the idea there is you have to ask five whys before you can say anything. So it's just like, keep asking why. And I think that's always that with me, like seeking to understand before you respond. Because I think really early on in your career, like you want to have the answers. So you want to respond to things when people ask you. It's like, oh, I know this one. I know this one. And actually, that's the worst thing you can do when you get into a leadership position. And actually, you should just ask lots of questions. But I think um, it's almost like it is that switch, I think, at some point in your career where that kind of happens, or it did for me anyway. It's just it was an interesting transition, I think. Yeah. And the thing is that that ability to question does set leaders apart. And I've been guilty of jumping in, fixing what I thought was the problem, and then looking back and going, well, it solved things for me, but what did it do for others? And realizing as a leader that it's not about you anymore. Yeah, it's very true. Well, you will do soon in your current job. Yeah, I'll need to because uh, <laughs> we're already over 80 people and uh, we're going to grow wow. by at least 60-70% this year. And yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to be busy if I want to do all the HR stuff and the recruitment stuff. But um, leadership for me, I used to think that it was about managing a team and progression and promotion for me, I thought it had to be vertical, not lateral. And that's something that's changed over the last few years, getting exposure to new teams, new processes, new experiences that stretched and challenged me. So I've always been paranoid and I'm still a little paranoid that having never led a team of people and never having had that experience of managing personalities, experience levels, all the rest of it has made me less of a leader. But it's something I'm actually growing more comfortable with that you don't have to be, you don't have to have multiple people underneath you to be a leader. It's how you conduct yourself. It's your thought leadership more so than anything else that I think sets one apart. So For me, that's actually what I'm trying to focus on more than uh, worrying about whether or not I've got a a team that reports up to me and calls me boss. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you're right. Again, I was reading something the other day and it was basically around, it was a great quote and I can't think where it was or 
exactly, but it was around the fact that leadership is an attitude, it's not a position. And it goes to exactly that. It's about how you show up and how you conduct yourself. It doesn't actually matter what the organizational hierarchy says. It's so much more than that. All right, just looking at time, I'm going to ask you two more questions. Okay. Uh, What do you think has been the key to your success so far? The key to my success, I think, is the fact that I'm just willing to give things a go. I've put my hand up for roles knowing that I don't have all of the skills or experience, but being prepared to learn. And we've seen time and time again, people quote, oh, men will apply for a job when they only have 60% of the skills. Women will wait till they have everything. And maybe I'm more of a man than I thought, Um, (laughs) but I'm all women. But you can't grow if you're not prepared to learn and challenge yourself. And so almost every single role I've gone for has been something where it is actually quite a step up. And it's off the back of the support that I've had from my mentors and from my community as well, that they've put that confidence in me. Don't get me wrong. I've absolutely had moments of imposter syndrome and been brought to tears because I'm convinced I'm a fraud and I can't do it but I've had the right people around me to support me, talk me down from my ledge and reinforce that self-belief. So that's really been the key for me is being willing to scare myself, challenge myself, face those fears and go, what's the worst that can happen? What we're doing is not brain surgery. So if I make a mistake, it really isn't the end of the world. I think we all need that reminder sometimes though. Right, you're right. <laughs> Maybe that's another post it I need on my desk along with the Re- Rebecca Horson quote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, another one that uh, I'll put on your desk is nothing good happens after seven o'clock. So <laughs> I am very strict with my work life balance, often do 11 plus hour days, but you won't see me going after 7 p.m. If you're starting work at seven, eight o'clock in the morning and you're still going at seven o'clock at night, you're more prone to making mistakes. Nothing's going to happen in those midnight hours before you log on again in the morning. So step back, have some dinner, watch trashy TV or hang out with your family or walk the dog or whatever it is. But for me, I've taken a very deliberate approach to how I manage my time now. And I don't stay online after 7 p.m. unless there's an absolute emergency and I can't think of what that would be. But yeah, people can still get me on the phone. I won't do the work until the next morning, though. If they ask me to do something, it'll be done in the morning. So three post-its for you to have on your desk. Come out smarter than you came in. Ask more questions. Nothing good happens after 7 p.m. I love that. And we're going to write them up and put them on the desk after this. <laughs> and then, all right. Last question. Who would you like to hear from on the Striving and Thriving podcast? He's worked for Save the Children, Epworth Medical. So he's come from more of that not-for-profit background, which can be very, very challenging. When, and they have very limited resources most of the time. So I think someone like Craig is also well worth talking to. Exactly. I've caught up with him a few times and you know just picked his brains about things and he had some great employer branding initiatives as well while he was at Epworth that I totally stole. I love talking about employer branding as well. I'll have to I'll give him a mess I'll send him a message after this. See if he fancies a geek out. Thank you so much for today. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for asking me. 
Want to know more about how to get ahead? Be sure to check out striving.io for career development tools and mentorships to guide you through. Striving and thriving. 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 Striving and thriving.